And what I realized, and this doesn't just go for finances, it goes for really anything is when something is simple, you know, in reality, it's simple, but then it's made complex. Usually it's because there's a third party that purposefully does that in order to create, you know, a sense of inferiority and a sense of false value so that others have to, you know, pay fees or pay commissions or whatever it might be in order to have this person explain what all these big words mean. And so when I first started learning about finances, I was kind of, you know, full of myself. I was like, man, I know what a standard deviation is. And I know about sharp ratios and all this stuff that, you know, you talk to an average investor, they don't know what any of that stuff means. And then I realized, you know, that it actually, the, the wealthiest people that I knew didn't talk like that. They talked in simple, plain language. Um, you know, one of my mentors at that time, when I started learning about real estate, he said, Hey, the bottom line is if you're looking at a deal and you can't draw it on a napkin, it's not a good deal. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter how fancy it looks. If you can't draw it on a napkin and make sense of it, it's not a good deal. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jerry Fetter. Jerry is the CEO and founder of Wealth Dynamics. He is nationally recognized financial expert featured in Forbes, Yahoo Finance, Chicago Weekly News, New York Finance, and interviewed on over 45 podcasts with world-renowned experts, earning him endorsements and affiliations through his career with big names such as Grant Cardone, Dave Ramsey, and Pamela Yellen. Now, Jerry's mission in life is to help create millions of financially educated and solvent families achieve greater financial freedom and share the truth about money with those around them. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible insights and his journey to get to where he is today. But enough of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Jerry, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, Reed. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. How are you? My pleasure, my friend. And uh, where, where are you dialing in from today? I'm in Tampa, Florida. 
Lovely. How's the weather out there right now? It's uh, it's the hot season. It's my first summer down here. So it's the kind of weather where you go outside and you're instantly sweaty. Instantly sweaty. I just got back yeah. from Hawaii last night and it was the same like muggy. You walk outside and you're instantly like dripping in sweat. <laughs> yeah. Um, where'd you move to prior to, prior to, prior to that? Uh, you're going to laugh. I, I lived in Alaska. Oh, wow. That's a huge change. It's, it's literally the change. biggest distance you can go. <laughs> was, is that where you born and born and raised? Uh, pretty much. I was born in Montana and then my dad, he was military. So we moved up to Alaska when I was about five. They're really similar, Montana and Alaska. And, and I sure. lived there since. Awesome. Well, mate, let's get into the show. And the first question I ask about childhood is rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Yeah. So I would, I would have to go back to my dad. Uh, he actually owned a, a handyman business. So he was a painter. He did general contracting, you know, fixing up places. He was a superintendent at an apartment building as well. Kind of did property management. I remember working for him and uh, I remember making my first five bucks with my dad at that job. Awesome. What were you, what, anything specific? Pick out the paintbrushes, you know, clean up the tools. He called it step and fetch it. So whatever he needed, <laughs> I would step and fetch it. <laughs> got it. Got it. One of those uh, wrench, uh, wrench screwdrivers, right? You know, yeah. go, get the, go get the wrench screwdriver. Exactly. <laughs> so Jerry, walk us through the journey to date, right? You, you've come and started a company called Dynamics, which is a financial freedom type of uh, business that helps other people achieve financial freedom through investing in certain alternative assets. But you didn't just stumble into that. So to tell us about the bit of the, the, the preamble before getting into the business that you're in today. Yeah, so it's been it's been a runway. Um, if I were to go back, you know, I grew up, um, you know, very low income. My my family, we were we were you know food stamps, uh, food bank, um, you know, free lunches at school, that type of family. I remember when I was a kid watching a, a bug crawl through my cereal one time that we got from the food bank, and uh, so I, I had a very um, very bad relationship with money growing up. My parents got divorced over finances. Um, and so I remember when I was 17 years old, I was working a pizza delivery job and I remember driving in the car and, and someone had told me that, that the dollar wasn't backed by anything. And I don't know why, but that just struck me. I was like, wait, so you're telling me I'm going to go to college and get a job and work a career all for basically monopoly money. You know, it's got no value behind it. It's just paper. And so that was kind of the beginning of my, um, decision, you know, at the time to get out of the rat race, I wasn't going to be somebody that traded time for money. Now I didn't know you could build wealth, right? I always tell people you can either go poverty, denial or wealth. And so I wasn't going to do denial and I wasn't going to do wealth because I didn't know about it. So I chose poverty. Um, and so that was kind of where I began. And, you know, if, if you fast forward and I'm sure we'll cover some of this as we talk more, I actually ended up becoming a financial advisor, kind of mainstream traditional. Um, and this was at the age of 18. I started getting my licenses, um, and, and getting into the, you know, business of selling mutual funds and retirement accounts and kind of the normal traditional retail stuff. And, um, you know, transition that into several years later, learning more kind of the behind the curtains, behind the scenes stuff. And that really was what brought me to hard assets, alternative assets, you know, some of the real estate things we'll talk about today and, and you know, founding the company that I run today. That's, that's super interesting, particularly when you say that you were told during a pizza delivery uh, excursion that the money wasn't backed by anything. I know at 18, I didn't even know what that term meant. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly there must have been something in your brain that was like, hey, it's not backed by anything. So, so to walk us through that because so many people who, who are not financially, don't have a financial IQ, which is what this podcast is about, what we try and share with people to, to grow their financial IQ. When you say it's not backed by anything, what do, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So it has no actual intrinsic or underlying value. 
Um, and this probably goes back to when I was a kid. Cause you're right for a 17 year old, that's a weird thing to like catch and be like, that's, you know, significant. Cause most 17 year olds, that doesn't mean anything. If you tell them that, right. um, when I was eight or nine, my parents got divorced. This was all in the same summer. My parents got divorced over finance. Um, we lost our house and then basically the bank, you know, foreclosed on it. And then the car also got repoed. Um, all in the same summer. And then that same summer I was homeless with my mom living in a trailer behind somebody's house. Um, and so I, I had the experience of watching us lose real things, you know, losing a house, which is real, losing a car, which is real, losing a family, which is real because of finances. And so when I was 17 and someone was like, well, money's not backed by anything to me, I thought of monopoly money. I was like, wait, you're telling me that we lost all of this important, valuable stuff over nothing. It's not like there was actually anything backing that money. And I didn't know about the banking industry and how it worked yet. There's a lot more to it, but that I think was what resounded for me on, okay, a house has value. A car has value. A family has value. And I could probably see the difference between that and then the dollars, which didn't have value. And the fact that those were, you know, lost over the thing called money. Right. Walk me through the financial IQ education journey, because that is also such a great starting point of, of understanding what things are backed by. And I love that you say family because family is obviously you can't trade it for anything. I can't go trade the value of my family for money or other things, but it's it's valuable to you, right? In terms yeah. of your your you know your your, your inner well being, your mental health, and all that sort of stuff. But but walk me through the financial education piece to get you into the financial advisory role and, and journey. Yeah. So with that, I remember, you know, I, I went to the first meeting and it's kind of, kind of when I got recruited into that business. Um, at the time, I was actually a personal trainer. Right. And so I was a personal trainer. I was a competitive bodybuilder. And so I didn't understand finances. It wasn't an area that I had any interest in. I actually had disdain for it. Um, but I did understand math. I was really good at math. I was in advanced math all the way up to 10th grade. And then I realized they were just going to keep giving me tests. So I, I ended up quitting on it. But, uh, you know, I, I knew math and I knew with bodybuilding, you know, calories in versus calories out. Well, how much how much am I adding to my weights? What am I doing with my calories and macronutrients? that clicked. And so when I looked at finances, I realized it's all just math. You know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of complex vocabulary. You and I know this being in the private placement industry, you look at a, a private placement memorandum, friggin' a hundred pages of Greek. Um, but the <laughs> underlying is just what's the math of the deal. And so I knew that. And then as I started to learn about finances and get licensed, I learned more of the vocabulary. And I think learning that at such an, at such a young age put me at an advantage. Cause that's, I think the barrier to entry is a lot of people could understand the math if it weren't for the vocabulary. Right. And so I kind of had to go through this process of getting state licensed and federally licensed. And I kind of lived and breathed that for several years. Um, and then that kind of gave me, I think a little bit of an easier time when it came to, okay, well, how do I actually apply this thing called finances? And, and talk to me about how you then take that into being a business, because before we press record here, you're talking about your passion about educating those people who, who, who don't have financial, financial IQ. They, they're like yourself. They, they grew up in a broken home. They grew up with, with, with issues with financing because people are scared of it and they have that sort of head in, the, head in the sand type of mentality. So how did you, was that a driving factor to go off and starting the company that you've started today in order to share the knowledge with people less fortunate than you? You know, to a degree, definitely. I look at, you know, especially coming from Wall Street, because that's where I kind of began. Um, and now I don't do anything with Wall Street. And, and what I realize, and this doesn't just go for finances, it goes for really anything is when something is simple, 
you know, in reality it's simple, but then it's made complex. Usually it's because there's a third party that purposefully does that in order to create, you know, a sense of inferiority and a sense of false value so that others have to, you know, pay fees or pay commissions or whatever it might be in order to have this person explain what all these big words mean. And so when I first started learning about finances, I was kind of, you know, full of myself. I was like, man, I know what a standard deviation is. And I know about <laughs> sharp ratios and all this stuff that, you know, you talk to an average investor, they don't know what any of that stuff means. And then I realized, you know, that it actually, the, the wealthiest people that I knew didn't talk like that. They talked in simple, plain language. Um, you know, one of my mentors at that time, when I started learning about real estate, he said, Hey, the bottom line is if you're looking at a deal and you can't draw it on a napkin, it's not a good deal. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter how fancy it looks. If you can't draw it on a napkin and make sense of it, it's not a good deal. And so for me, I looked at, okay, well, my dad, you know, working class guy, my mom stay at home. Um, you know, very simple people, very simple family. I don't think either of them went to college, but when I realized that when, when we really simplify finances down, it's something they could have understood they could have won with. It was just not ever given to them in that simple, true and real format for them to actually grasp it. And so to answer your question, I think that is a passion of mine is, you know, de demysticate, mystifying, kind of simplifying finances and making sure that that's accessible to anybody that wants it. And that's an interesting thing because so many people, as I mentioned earlier, don't have the groundwork in financial IQ, financial just just understanding how to read a PL, right? It's little simple yeah. things like that. But uh, but but that sort of that keep it simple stupid is so important when you're looking at deals. And that's not and, and I'm not just talking about real estate. Obviously this show is very heavily focused on real estate. But when you're talking about any investment into anything, whether it be a business or a stock market or into gold or or whatever it might be, you need to break it down into its fundamentals. And and I think having it a keep it simple stupid mentality really helps bridge that gap in terms of the language that we use. And, and I like how you sort of said people try to complicate things to add fees into it. So it's sort of people, you know, people get deer in the headlights and they can't understand really what's going on behind uh, all that gibberish that you're talking about in, in a PPM. Mm -hmm. um, but but talk to me about dynamics now and, and, and who you serve, the average client that, that comes into your firm and invests with you into your alternative assets. Yeah. So Wealth Dynamics has a couple of different uh, focuses. And so with um, kind of everyday people, right? One of our things is financial education. And so we have a program and a platform online called Wealth Dynamics University. And it's, um, you know, hundreds of hours of content on finances. And that really can help anyone at any stage. Um, you know, someone just starting out, if you would have put that in my hands at 18, man, that would have been amazing. And so that's something we provide. And then we also focus on, on, you know, getting people solvent too. And that's a big factor is I think people sometimes get prematurely interested in investing and tax planning and some of this advanced stuff. And it's like, whoa, you, you have an upside down net worth or, or you spend more than you earn. And so that's an area where we help people. And then with, you know, investing, when we get a client that's maybe more sophisticated, um, you know, in some cases they have a million dollar net worth, they're accredited, um, you know, that's where we, we really help them with advanced strategies, whether that be helping them find passive income sources, looking at different deals, um, integrating that in with their tax planning. Um, you know, we've done some incredible stuff just in, in the tax arena. That's a lot of fun. And so we look at that estate planning, legacy planning, and those are kind of all the things we focus on. Um, but our main audience is usually, you know, we see a lot of people that are 25 to 45, right in that zone where they're kind of in their prime earning years. Um, you know, they usually do have families. They usually have kids. They've, they've tried a lot of the, the right things. If we want to call it that, you know, put money in the 401k, try and pay off the house, put money in the bank. 
But a lot of times when we speak to them, they've, they've come to the conclusion that they feel like they're running against the grain. They're running against the current that's going faster than they are, even though they're doing all the right things. Um, and so they're looking for, okay, well, what is it that wealthy people are doing? Because they don't seem to have the same issues I'm having and there's got to be another answer. And that's often who we end up speaking to and, and working with. And that's, that's great. I think I love that in terms of breaking it down into Wealth Dynamics University to help bridge the, again, bridge the gap between what you are ultimately selling. Like, let's say you, you, have a, you have a for-profit business, that's so not, not, not bit around the bush, but you need to have the training coming into it. And I think so many businesses you know, thrive when they, when they break it all down in, into such you know, easy, digestible bites like you're doing in your business. And I think that's extremely uh, incredible work that you're doing. So, so kudos to you. What has been the biggest challenge mentally you see when you're, you, you're onboarding someone that they're trying to get, get around? And maybe you already mentioned it with the term, like, with the term I'm doing all the right things, right? Like yeah. this whole narrative that we've been fed both you know, when I, me growing up in Australia or, or here in the United States in the Western world that you know we've got to go to school and you've got to get a job and you've got to work to 65 and then you can retire right yeah well, what's been the biggest hurdle mentally when people you know come come knocking on your door I think for for the average person you know it's it's usually going to be one of two things and I think both of them are interrelated I think you know it's either going to be like you mentioned doing all the right things it's almost a sense of of pride and accomplishment of like you know, I have a college degree, I own a home, I have a car, I have money in the bank, I have money in retirement. And so with my business, you know, in a very nice way, we're kind of invalidating all that. We're saying, hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing any of this stuff. This is all feeding money to banks, Wall Street and the IRS. Those three groups are not your friend. And so sometimes that's a barrier for somebody that that's, that's what their parents did. You know, that's what they were taught growing up. That's what they saw their peers, families do. And so to say, hey, I'm not going to do any of that stuff, it really is kind of a, a make or break moment on, you know, am I, am I willing to try something different to get a different result or do I want to stay comfortable with what I know? Um, and so that's kind of what we'll see. And the flip side, the other thing we'll see is, you know, somebody that's kind of disenfranchised by that. Like they've, they already know like, hey, I shouldn't do the 401k at work and I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that. And that's great, but they'll try and skip other steps they do need to do. And so they kind of have this mentality of, you know, screw the system, don't follow any of the steps. But if you show them any steps, often they'll try and bypass and skip them just because last time the steps were bad and they weren't good things. And so there's a differentiation between, okay, what you were doing, you realize was wrong, bad idea, not doing it. But there are other steps and there are other, there are other foundations to be built in order to get into some of the stuff that we're talking about. And, and, and let's get into that, right? Like, what, so, so what, what are the types of things, and we spoke a little earlier, again, offline, we talk about real estate, alternative assets. You don't like to invest your, your, your clients' money into the, the Wall Streets of the world. So what are you investing in today um, in terms of uh, your, your alternative assets? Yeah, so one of the first things that, that we have people do is we, we have them actually get out of the banking system, right? Putting money in the checking account in the savings account. So we will, we will focus on, you know, obviously they've got to earn income, but then it comes down to where am I storing that value until I'm ready to invest. And so we'll look at things like life insurance, gold and silver as kind of a store of value. Um, and that's a really simple gradient because anybody can do that. You know, and, and most people, if they're putting money in the bank, it's just as simple as let's, let's put it in the life insurance policy instead, or let's put it in gold and silver instead. 
Um, now, as far as doing deals, usually when someone's starting out, we're focusing on passive income producing uh, assets. And so um, often those are going to be um, on my clients, we like to put them on the debt side. I feel like they've got a lot more security as, as, a, as a first position private lender on a real asset than they do as an equity partner. And oftentimes the yields are higher too. Um, so we'll look at private lending funds where they're maybe lending on a mobile home park or multifamily real estate or, you know, a mortgage note on a, on a property or a subdivision. Um, something like that. We've even, we've even done water rights, right? Where you're, you're, you're lending to the subdivisions water rights and, and their water comes on because of the loan you extended. And so those are things we'll look at for beginnings, um, you know, investors that are just starting and then it can, it can advance all the way into, you know, multifamily partnerships, you know, foreign currency trading, life settlements, investing. There's a lot out there, oil and gas. Um, and that all comes down to, you know, the client's level of education and experience. Um, this idea of, you know, being a sophisticated investor or an accredited investor, there's a lot that goes with that other than just the financial statistics. It's actually, what is the track record of the, of doing deals in the past? What's the knowledge and understanding level of the investor themselves? And how much do you play a referee in educating those people on, you mentioned, you know, oil, multifamily, uh, lending funds, are you acting as that quarterback or are you just sort of more reliant upon the, the client understanding the risks involved with say an oil, an oil field investment? Yeah, we definitely do a lot of education up front, right? One of the first things that, that I tell my clients is never invest in something you don't understand. Um, and, and understanding meaning I can draw it on a napkin, right? If I can, mm -hmm. if I can do that, then I know that I got the deal down. I know what it means. I know how it works. So we really cr try and create, you know, and that's where Wealth Dynamics University comes in someone's ready to do an oil and gas deal. We have a certification on that. They're going to watch that. There's quizzes, there's practicals. They're going to test out. We actually can show a certification saying this client knows how oil and gas works before we ever connect them with the oil and gas fund company. Um, so on the client side, it makes for a lot better experience. And then also the fund side, they love us too, because they're getting really quality investors. They're not getting people that are going to rock the boat. Um, they're not getting people that are going to want their money back when COVID happens because they didn't have, you know, savings set aside. Um, and so it kind of is a win-win for both sides. And, and that runway is really what I attribute that to. That's awesome. And I think that's a great uh, snapshot into your business and how you've set up so many awesome systems uh, to help fund the different vehicles that you want ultimately your, your clients to invest in. And I think if, the, if you, you know, you don't ever give a man a fish, you teach him how to fish, right? And that's exactly. it's so, so important. So how are you only attracting accredited investors? Are you, got, or you open to unaccredited investors as well? Uh, we do both. It really comes down to the, the fund, right? So I kind of break it down into three tiers. There's what I would consider to be a qualified investor, which means that the, the person is solvent. They've got some reserves set aside. You know, they don't have consumer debt and they can start doing some very basic beginner deals. And then you get into what I would consider a sophisticated investor. That's somebody that's got a net worth of at least $250,000. They've done some deals. They've got a track record. Um, and then we get into the accredited stage, which is, you know, a million dollar net worth, um, you know, significant deal history. Like it has to be both sides of that equation. I can't just take someone with a million dollar net worth that's never seen a PPM before and be like, Hey, go, go play with the big boys. Right. Um, and so we kind of help all three of those phases. Um, and, and it's, it's different with everyone. We tend to attract a lot of people who aren't yet accredited, who really want to get there. Um, as, as somebody that's in the industry, you know, the reality of when you're, when you're accredited, there's deals you can do that you can't, you can't do if you're not accredited. And it's, it's like the curtain opens up and there's all of this extra stuff that can make you so much more money than what's out there. 
Right. And then that's and that's the journey of most people, right? including myself, including yourself. It's like you start from zero. Everyone starts from zero. I'm right? yeah. not just born with 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 a million dollars net worth. You got to go create that. I wish. And that's, <laughs> yeah. Well, some people are, you know, but that's not that's not that's not the two of us. But yeah. most of the people you're trying to attract are is through learning to create better seeds and a foundation for their family to 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 be really generational. And, and I think that's it. That's really important. And, and attracting those people who are on the cusp of, yeah, they may have a good income, but they may not necessarily be qualified as uh, an accredited investor. And, and I, I come across the same people who invest directly with me. They, you know, we've, we've actually had to shift only to accredited investors as we do bigger and bigger deals. But I still get those people coming through saying, hey, I'm right on the cusp. It's like, look, here's something that I can you know, throw you in um, whilst you you sort of grow your experience and your net worth to, to qualify um, as as an accredited investor. Um, you mentioned earlier some some pretty interesting things that I picked up on that you got passive income producing assets. Are you pulling everyone's money together and feeding it out to different operators, or are you sort of you know say the lending business? Are you acting as the lender as well? Yeah. So typically, it's going to be a direct introduction where we're going to take a client that's got you know a hundred grand and we're going to connect them with the right fund. Um, we try not to act as the, as the intermediary where we're mm. collecting the money and we're lending it out and, and keeping a spread. I think there's, there's too much that can go wrong with that. Um, so we try and connect directly to the fund. I do have a couple of funds myself where I am the issuer and we do our own deal finding, our own operating. Um, and so it's going to be one of those two avenues. But generally speaking, we're not going to collect it and then do like a sub agreement where we lend it out to someone else and pay the spread back to the client. Got it. No, no, that's, that's, that's perfect. It makes sense, right? So to the funds that you do run, what are you investing in actively today? Uh, so today I have a lot of, uh, from, from, from my own portfolio, private lending. So I have um, secured private lending on uh, homeowners association dues contracts. That's a very, very secure one and very interesting one. That's kind of outside of the box. Um, so I do that. I have, you know, some uh, private lending on mobile home funds, um, private lending on uh, a restaurant in Alaska. Um, I do some Forex investing, oil and gas investing, uh, life settlement investing. I own quite a bit of gold as well. Um, and I, I kind of stay within that realm. I'll, obviously, I do a lot of life insurance too. Um, so those are kind of my main things that I stick with. Awesome. So it sounds like you're on the real estate side. You were just in the note carrying space. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you can go both sides. You can go equity or no. What I've found is on equity, it's typically going to be, you know, a, a, a smaller preferred return. It might be a four, six, 8% dividend with a split. Um, and then equity on the back end, want to sell or on a refinance on the note side, I can get eight, 10 or 12% yield right away. Now, granted, I don't get anything on the cash out other than my principal back, but I have a way where I offset that by collateralizing against my gold or my life insurance first. That way I still get the appreciation and then I'll lend out for the cash flow or the yield on the back end of it. And I kind of have both happening still. And how do you account for the taxes given that you're sitting in first position? Yeah. So, so basically it's just earned in, in earned interest income. So when I get the income in, it's, it's being treated as 1099 as it comes in, um, right. you know, just like any sort of income. And I have my own tax planning I do. And so you can put that into qualified plans. You can use trusts, um, you know, you can also, if you're, if you're collateralizing, you can write off your interest expense on your gold loan or your life insurance loan or whatever that might be. So that is one, one thing I would say is with, with private lending, especially because you're not getting the depreciation you'd get on the equity deal. So you've got to make sure you put those tax, those tax strategies in, in play kind of more on the manual side. Like you have to look at, okay, what, what's going to come in and what do I need to plan for? And how am I going to mitigate that? versus on a multifamily partnership, that might already be spoken for just through depreciation and deductions on the deal. 
Right, right. And for those people who are listening, just want to quickly summarize there what Jerry has explained. You're essentially either going picking up these life insurance policies and then borrowing against it to use that money as the lending source for these deals, right? And so you got you 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 get paid back. You also got to pay back your life insurance your note is technically, but it, but your money is sort of working for you double double the speed, right? That's essentially exactly. Gonna, yeah, 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 yeah. I've had a couple of uh, had um, uh, Mr. MC Laubscher from the Cashflow Ninja on. I know MC. About, yeah, he's yeah, a good yeah, guy. About the, the infinite banking system and how that essentially is what what a boils down to. I didn't realize you could do the same in gold. Maybe you want to touch briefly on that. If it's same, you know, back of the napkin type yeah. of place your money in a hard asset, you borrow against it, you then go and use it to do something else. Yeah. And that's pretty much the extent of it, right? Um, you buy you buy physical gold, right? So you're not doing paper, you're not doing ETFs, you're not doing, you know, digital shares of gold, you're buying actual tangible gold. You're putting that in a depository as collateral. And then you're getting a loan against that, that collateral. Typically they're going to give you you know, 75% loan to value ratio. Um, when you, when you calculate in tax deduction, principal pay down, your interest cost is usually two to 3%. And that's on an annual basis. And then historically like gold for me is a long-term investment. I don't trade it. So if I'm buying mm-hmm. gold, my plan is I'm going to keep it for at least five years, if not longer. Um, for me, ideally I would never get rid of it. So if you look at the track record of gold historically over the long term, it's about an eight to 10% annual um, growth rate. And so that's substantially higher than life insurance. Life insurance, you might say a three to 5% annual growth rate. Um, and so I can get that compounding faster. The difference is gold is what's considered a revaluation asset, meaning it can go up in price or down in price. And so there is a, a risk of a margin call. And that's why if you're doing gold loans, it's a little more aggressive than life insurance loans because life insurance, you can't lose money on it. It just, it's always going to grow. It's never going to lose. Right. Um, so very similar concept, but it's something I love because the IRS can't tax a loan, right? I, if I sell gold, that's a taxable event. Just like if I sell a property, that's a taxable event. So using the debt really does help. And I would imagine that leverage point of 75% really keeps that buffer in there because of that revaluation metric that's going on with, with the physical asset, right? Totally. Yeah. And if you look at um, the standard deviation of gold, it's usually uh, about an average of 15%, meaning mm-hmm. it might average eight to 10% on any, any given year, but it's got margin, you know, 15% upward, 15% downward from that eight to 10%, which is considered a normal range. So that, that 75 LTV helps. And then I usually will keep 10% of my reserve and my, my credit line in reserves as well. Um, and when it does go down on my margin calls, I actually buy more of it. I don't pay the loan off. I buy more gold right? Because hmm. that extends my, my asset base, which means my LTV has dropped because I own more gold. And I'm buying the gold on sale, which is preferable than just paying the debt down and I never see that money again. Right. No, that's interesting. And what's, what, what facilities are set up? Like, you know, I know life insurance companies are set up to handle the life insurance policies to then take the loan out. I didn't realize on the gold, are there gold brokers out there that do that, do exactly the same thing and create, create the loan for you and carry the paper? Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually, I own a a gold bullion company too. So that's something we do is we, we facilitate the loan, help with the underwriting. We have a secure depository that actually holds the collateral. Um, And so that's, that's something we are able to do all of that in-house for our clients. That's, that's awesome. That's well done. And it's something that I would, we could probably spend a whole episode just talking about gold bullion. We might just have to get you back and, uh, and talk about it, but no, it's really interesting stuff. And, and I love that how you really packaged up everything from the university through to creating different revenue streams for your clients by being a gold bullion broker or by being, you know, uh, in the life insurance company um, or expert. So, so like the infinite banking system we've spoken about many times 
times on this show before. Um, I guess as we come here to wrap up the show, what what are your big, what's your sort of vision and horizon for the next five to 10 years, both personally and uh, in the business? Yeah. So for me personally, over the next five years, um, I'm really focused on my, my own personal family office. Um, and it's, it's really the idea of a family office. If you study old money, not, not new money in wall street, if you study the, the Carnegie's, the Rockefeller's, they all operated off something called a family office. And so that really is when you take your personal wealth portfolio and you scale it like a company, right? You actually hire employees and they help with refinancing deals, you know, finding deals, underwriting, you know, everything you can imagine on the org board of your wealth is, is going to happen. And so that's where my personal focus is at. Um, from a business focus, you know, we're really in expansion mode. We're working with, you know, thousands of clients across the U.S. Um, and so right now we're working on, you know, hiring staff, um, you know, really growing our systems, our infrastructure, bringing more people on. Um, we kind of have the base of, of, you know, our offering and the, the, the service we provide really down and locked in. And so now it really is time to scale that out too. Awesome. No, I think that's great. And it's, it's the beauty of building great foundations. And something I talk a lot about on this show is having the ability to take a client in your funnel and be able to you know, answer every single question that they can have, regardless of their, of their sophistication along the totem pole, because you want to have that, that, that sort of drip feeding of information to people who, who are just coming in, just getting started with their financial IQ, all those more accredited investors who you really want to go ramp up and potentially create a family office for them. That's, that's, that's super exciting and everything you've, you've created underneath that. So, so well done. Uh, I Thank think you. That, that it's going to, be, going to be an awesome career for you uh, in the business in the next couple of years. Uh, at the end of every show, we'd like to dive into the top five investing tips. Ready to get into it? Let's do it. Mate, what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? daily habit that I practice, I measure everything by stats. So I actually have graphs, literal graphs, and I, I track all of my important metrics and I enter them in my graphs. I measure that. I look at it on a daily basis. And what, what, what's, your, what's your number one metric you look at? Number one metric I look at in my company would be, uh, it's a graph called value of service delivered. And so we actually track mm. the, the denominated value of what we're delivering to our clients every day. And um, that's something we measure week over week. That's first more important than revenue, right? Um, so that's on the, on the, on the, uh, business side, on the personal side, it's passive income. That's something I'm always looking at, always looking to grow. Um, you know, that is the Holy grail of becoming financially independent. Awesome. I love it. The value of service delivered. I think that's such an incredible, uh, metric to look at because again, you don't even have to worry about revenue because that will fig- that will figure itself out once you, uh, have that, that metric worked out. So, so awesome. Well, well done. Um, question number two is what has been the, who's the most influential person in your career to date? Most influential person in my career today. Man, that's a hard one. Um, if I had to pick one of them, I have a, a mentor and a friend of mine. He's actually a partner in one of my funds. Now. His name is Chris. And uh, he was the one when I, when I got out of Wall Street, didn't know what to do. He's the one that sat down and told me about, you know, note investing, private lending. Um, so he's, he's somebody that I definitely attribute a lot of my, my knowledge and, and current success to. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, thanks, Chris, for, for all the help with Jerry's, with Jerry's future. Cheers, Chris. <laughs> uh, question number three is, in your business, what is the most influential tool? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like your notepad or a journal or a phone, or it could be a piece of software that you cannot run the business without. What is it? Yeah, so this is a great one. Actually, we have something called the Blueprint of Financial Freedom. And so I wrote this book. Um, this, is, this is literally what I did step by step by step in order to become financially independent. And we turned it into a blueprint. And so what we did is we're able to take any, any client, any prospect, anywhere, figure out where they're at and map out what their next steps are. 
Um, and we can do that within a matter of minutes. So that's been a, a very valuable tool to us and our clients. I mean, it goes back to what you're creating. Once you get them hooked on your ideas and what you stand for, you can get them into the university. You can get them into all the products that you're trying to, 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 to make sure that they're getting into in order for them to achieve the financial freedom. So love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, in one sentence, question number four, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure or mistake in your career? And what did you learn from that mistake or failure? Biggest failure, not, not looking for myself. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, taking whoever's word for whatever without inspecting myself, what it looks like and what's actually going on. Um, and I could rattle off so many times that that happened where you hear somebody say something and you're like, oh, okay. And then it turns out that, you know, there was more to it or there was something missing. So, you know, what I've learned from that is always look for myself, always check if it's something that, that matters enough to have a conversation about or to track that it matters enough to actually see it with my own eyes and see what's really going on. And, and you just, you're talking about a trust factor there, right? Like you can't just like, don't just take someone's word for it. Like, oh, it's a great deal. Get involved, right? It can be that. And it can also be, you know, everyone's in a different level of, of logic, right? Being able to look at something and come to conclusions. And so, you know, in a deal, I might see something that someone else doesn't see. And it doesn't mean that they're untrustworthy. It just means they haven't maybe had the experience or the massive volume of looking at deals to be able to notice something. And so they might be, you know, 100% doing their best job, but it's not me at the end of the day that's looking at it. So, right. you know, I'm all about outsourcing, delegated hiring, but on the things that really matter, I always want to give a final inspection and just make sure before we sign off or before we get involved. That's, uh, that's awesome. And I think the experience that you bring to the table is also identifying those blind spots, right? When people's deals or in their financial planning or anything that they might come to you because you are that third party that's like has a different perspective, right? Different lens. And that's the value of partnering up with different people like yourself because you you bring that type of value to the table given all your history uh, of experience, you know, investing money across many different platforms. Um, final question, Jerry, is where can people reach you to continue the conversation that want to be in your sphere? Where do they go? Best place. Um, I mean, you can Google me, Jerry Feta, Instagram. If you go to at Jerry Feta on Instagram, you can follow me there. Um, you can go to our website, wealthdynamics.com. We have a ton of free content. So even if you want to kind of just, you know, creep at a distance and, and listen to podcasts, read blogs, watch videos, go to wealthdynamics.com and, and definitely, you know, consume some content there and you can follow us from there on social media. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to add you on social media. And uh, you mentioned the book before. Do you want to give one more plug? Uh, yeah. there? Yeah. So uh, blueprint of financial freedom. If you want a copy of this too, you can go to jerryfeta.com forward slash B2F. That's the letter B, the number two, the letter F um, stands for blueprint to freedom and not to, and, and it's a uh, very, very thorough, right? So that's something you could, you could hire us to implement it, but we did give you enough there where you can read it and just go do it yourself if you want to as well. Awesome. So that was jerryfeta.com.bptf, right? Uh, sorry, no, no, jerryfeta.com forward slash B2F. B2F. Got letter it, B, got number it. two, letter F. Got it, got it, got it. Let B2F, all right. Make sure we have all that in the show notes. Well, Jerry, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to, to jump on the show. Some of the things that I took away from today's uh, conversation is your ability to look at things differently. And it probably starts with that one conversation about money all the way back in the day. And you had the self-awareness of what's it backed by? And I know a 17-year-old person wouldn't, most of us wouldn't wouldn't have asked that question. But then slowly picking through, um, you know, going and educating yourself, becoming more financially 
independent in your own IQ, but then going out and helping others and then creating systems within the business so you can offer uh, a really great smorgasbord of options for different people coming through your funnel, whether it be someone just starting out or someone more advanced into some very complicated uh, lending strategies around you know life insurance, we talk in the infinite banking system, but also around gold and how you can, be, you can create a gold bullion broker to then create debt around that to go and lend it and make your money work for you in and in and out. And, and then everything around that you've got the education, I think is super, super awesome. So, so well done, but, but did I leave anything out? I think we covered it all. Awesome, mate. Well, look, well, thank you so much again for taking some time out of your day to, to jump on this show. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thanks, Reed. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Jerry. Remember to head over to jerryfetter.com. That's F-E-T-T-A.com forward slash B2F if you want to grab uh, a copy of his book. Incredible stuff here that he talks a little bit about in this episode. Please go remember to rewind and take down a ton of notes because there were some really good tidbits there about creating uh, multiple passive income streams through reusing uh, different stuff like insurance, um, investing in insurance products brokerage companies or lifetime insurance companies and also investing in gold. Uh, I want to thank you all for again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And the easiest way to give back to this show if you do like this show is to give us a five-star review on iTunes and we can do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave and go give life a crack.